Good morning. Welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. This has been a really big week. You will like spend months planning for something and then the big day arrives, kind of like having a baby. Just as exciting, just as painful. Um, no, <laughs> it was amazing and wonderful. Just so much work and a labor of love. But um, we had our, uh, our yearly Orthodox Jewish All-Stars Awards party this Tuesday night. And it was an incredible event. It was at the Museum of Jewish Heritage. We, this is our uh, third annual one. Um, just to give you a little background, if you're not familiar with what the Orthodox Jewish All-Star Awards are about, it began three years ago. You know, at Jew in the City, our mission is to break down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews. And so we've done videos about kosher food, not being blessed by a rabbi or not being more healthy because we've got plenty of non-healthy fare. And we've done videos about women being dirty when they are in need and explaining that it's not about being physically dirty. It's a spiritual state that's being discussed. So one of the myths and misconceptions that I wanted to tackle a couple of years back was an idea that a lot of people kind of see Orthodox men, especially men with hats and beards, and just assume they're, they're a bunch of rabbis and not realizing that beard and hat doesn't necessarily equal rabbi. Um, and a lot of people see Orthodox women pushing strollers and assume that it's because they're not allowed to work and um, are forced to be baby machines. In fact, when I was making my transition um, from conservative to Orthodox in my late teens, my aunt looked at me and said, oh, you're not going to become one of them. If you do, they'll make you have 10 children. So we, we do not have 10. We have four, thank God, beautiful, wonderful children. Um, and we've also done a, a video explaining uh, the orthodox opinions on, uh, on family planning and that there uh, are options for birth control in the right time and the right place. But um, we wanted to make a video to show that there are plenty of orthodox women who work outside the home with fulfilling careers, that there are plenty of Orthodox men that are involved in all sorts of things. And um, not to disparage being a homemaker, being a mother is a wonderful, amazing thing. Being a rabbi is a wonderful, amazing thing. But we're here to show people that the boxes are bigger than they might imagine people to be. I'll just give you some examples of misunderstandings and how they just sort of like quietly creep up into people's um, consciousness. Uh, there's a show, The Mindy Project, a funny show on Fox I like to catch sometimes when I'm not busy party planning. And in just one little casual episode, um, the main character, Mindy, is on the subway and she sees a guy with a black hat and a beard. It was their, you know, sort of token Hasidic character. And as she's passing by him, she goes, excuse me, rabbi. And um, my, my father-in-law actually, uh, my, my in-laws are Lubavitch. Um, and so my father-in-law wears uh, a kapate, a long black coat um, on Shabbos and has a, a big beard and a hat. And when my uh, Presbyterian neighbors saw my in-laws visiting one time, they said to me, oh, who's the rabbi uh, visiting you? And I said, actually, he's a computer programmer. He's not a rabbi. So just sort of that like that we make sort of these quick judgments without realizing that what we see is not always what is and, and that there are some rabbis that don't have beards and don't have hats and they're also rabbis. So, um, And in terms of the, the women not working thing, um, this is a fascinating uh, subject. Not only do regular people not realize that uh, women are allowed to work when they're orthodox. When I worked at Partners in Torah a bunch of years back, I had the privilege to interview about 3,000 birthright alumni and sort of, you know, get the pulse of what they were thinking and what they were feeling. And I had one woman tell me she would want to become more observant, but she wants to have a career. And if she was a religious Jew, she wouldn't be allowed to. And I said to her, really, like, what commandment is that? Because I don't know about that. And um, 
a couple of years back, I was interviewed by the Daily Beast. They wanted a quote from me. Um, there was a, a senatorial campaign, a state senatorial campaign from this woman called Mindy Meyer. She was running her campaign sort of based on Legally Blonde. And um, they wanted to know what I thought about that. And they wanted to know, uh, you know, what part of Jewish law prohibits women from working. And I was super psyched to get a quote, but my quote was none. And the reporter said to me, well, what do you mean? And I said, like most of us work. And she said, no, you don't. And I said, Yes, we do. And she said, no, you don't. And I said, look, in the modern Orthodox world, it's the same as the secular world. Centrist Orthodox, basically the same too. I said, in the yeshivish world, guess what? The women work more than the men do. I said, in the Lubavitch world, a ton of working. I said, maybe in the Hasidish circles, maybe not quite as many women working there. But for the vast majority, there are women working. And she fought me and fought me. And she finally conceded and said, oh, well, what do they do? Run shops? I said, yes, yeah, some run shops and some run companies and some run medical practices and law firms. And eventually she sort of said to me, well, maybe my secular bias is getting in the way. So while we in the Orthodox community are maybe not aware of how we're being perceived as rabbis and women who are not allowed to work outside the home, um, it's important for us to be aware of that so we can break down those myths and misconceptions. Again, not that being a rabbi is a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. Not that being a stay-at-home mom isn't a bad thing. It's a fabulous thing. But just that people should understand that we have more options, that there is more space within being an observant Jew because really much of the world looks at us as being very closed and having very few options, and that's not a very appealing thing. So um, we made this video, Orthodox Jewish All-Stars, three years ago. That was how the point of this started. And I thought, I don't want to just feature people who are working. I want to feature people who are at the tops of their fields. I want to show people not only can we do this, we can be the best of the best. And don't you think that Shabbos and kosher and holidays need to hold us back? In fact, I want to hear from the people who will tell our viewers that having these aspects, these religious aspects and observances in their lives have actually made their success meaningful, have actually given substance and depth to their, their professional success. And so we made this incredible video. The video started off by getting a U.S. senator to agree to do it. It was pretty insane that he did. I had in mind that I wanted Joe Lieberman to be in a video, and I had no idea how Joe Lieberman, I would ever get to him. And then there's this beautiful Hashem out there who, uh, who made it happen. Um, it was about, I guess, three and a half years ago. Joe Lieberman was being honored at an NJOP dinner. National Jewish Outreach Project. I was winning a social media award from them. And I had this brilliant plan. I'm just going to get there early. I'm going to schmooze Senator Lieberman up. He'll fall in love with me, Jew in the city, and, you know, it'll all be history. So, of course, I get there late because I get everywhere late. I miss the, the uh, you know, cocktail party. He's already basically up to his speech when I get there. And in the middle of the speech, he says, and as soon as this is over, I'm going back to D.C. And I turn to my husband and I say, do you think he means like as soon as this is over, like right now? He said, we'll see if he walks to the door. So he gets off the stage, passes by his table and heads to the door. So I stand up and I start running towards my door. And I'm trying to get him in the hall to intercept him. But then a lady intercepts my interception with something probably much less important than my thing. And um, anyway, he's making his way to the elevator with the Secret Service guy. And I'm literally giving an elevator pitch as the elevator doors are closing. But I hand out my card and I say, Hello, Senator Lieberman. My name is Allison Josephs. I run a site dedicated to breaking down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews. We'd love you to be in a video. So he says to me, Sure, anytime, call my office. 
And I run back to the table and I tell my husband, we got a U.S. senator. We got Joe Lieberman. And he's like, no, you don't. He's just being polite. He tells that to everyone. You don't have Joe Lieberman. I call the office the next day. They say, hand in a proposal. I hand in the proposal. A couple weeks later, they email back and they say, your request has made it to the yes pile. So once we had a U.S. senator agreeing to be in our videos, which is mind boggling to me, um, everyone else that we contacted at that point were like, oh, by the way, do you want to be in a video with Julie Berman? Oh, yeah, sure I do. So we compiled this group of 10 amazing individuals, including Faye Kellerman, New York Times bestselling novelist, Alex Clare, the famed artist of uh, the song Too Close. It was a Billboard Top 10 uh, song a couple summers ago for probably about, I don't know, uh, seven months, something like that. My, uh, Microsoft had it as their their theme song. We had the Maccabees. We had Dimitri Salida, Tamir Goodman, the first from female Rhodes Scholar, the first from female Supreme Court clerk. Jamie Geller, who uh, was an HBO producer and showed up to HBO every day in a wig. We had an all-star lineup. And after we were done recording uh, the Maccabees, we had so much fun recording them for their bit. I said to our, our head intern, our uh, director of marketing and operations, oh, those Maccabees are so cute. We should get together again. Let's have a reunion. And she said, we should have a party. I said, oh, that would be fun. But how do you make a party? I, I don't make parties. Anyway, I put it on Facebook. It would be so much fun to have a party. And then this woman, Sarah Lassery, wrote in, hey, I'll throw you a party. So I thought, okay, let's have a party. We threw a party together in five weeks. It was a beautiful first opening uh, Orthodox All-Stars uh, event. And my husband said, this went so great. Do it again. Open up nominations to the public. And so we did. So last year was our first year where we opened it to the public. We got an amazing group. Jack Lou, Treasury Secretary, Nobel Laureate Robert Alman, Sarah Hofstetter, CEO of top ad agency 360i, um, it was an incredible group, and um, we had a bunch of them come to the party last year, plus some former all-stars came back, and it was an amazing time. And then this year, it went even to the next level. So we were at about 300 people on Tuesday night from all stripes and walks of Jewish life, and probably some non-Jews as well, from Hasidish to Chabad to Sephardic to modern orthodox, to formally observant, to never observant before, and everything in between. We had people coming in from Norfolk, Virginia, Boston, Pittsburgh, Los Angeles, Montreal, Toronto. We gave away two tickets to someone on Facebook. She wrote in, oh, I'm from Toronto, I'm flying in. I thought like, what? Unbelievable to have that kind of support from near and far. And the, really the, the overarching feeling was that when you can get people who maybe don't always interact or see each other in one space to celebrate and to get together for something positive, to promote the message that being a Torah observant Jew doesn't mean you have to have your life ruined. In fact, the success that you have um, can actually be enhanced by having some deeper purpose and deeper meaning, by having Shabbos to take a break, to reflect. Um, it was just an incredible time. We had an amazing event planner, Connie Waxler of Bud's Events Designs. She contacted me last year. Um, she's actually a Ger Hasidish woman, so I've actually gotten a chance to experience a little bit of what her life looks like. She's so cool. She's so hip. Um, and for me, I've even probably had some of my own stereotypes broken down about the Hasidish community because she had us for Shabbos. And um, 
you know, to, to see those lines broken down between, you know, sometimes those labels that we put in between, even between other groups of Orthodox Jews that will sort of sit in our boxes and not quite know how the other ones live or how the other ones act, that maybe we judge other groups by maybe the worst in the group, that maybe sometimes people from the Haredi community will judge the modern Orthodox community by the most extreme of our community, that some people in the modern Orthodox community will judge the Haredi community from the most extreme from that community. But everyone there that was at the event on Tuesday night, what they had in common was that they were people that were interested in open-mindedness, in being non-judgmental, in being spiritually growing and uplifted, and, and sort of working together with all different types. And when, when you get a group like that together, um, only good things can happen. So we, uh, we had a pre-party. We had some ping pong going on where our all-star, S.D. Ackerman, who is the only Orthodox Jew in the over 9,000-person U.S. table tennis organization. She was playing uh, for, uh, for some donations for Jew in the City. We thought it was going to be more people playing. It turned out that actually a lot of people were terrified to play a 13-year-old and get their butt kicked. Um, so that was not quite as a successful fundraiser as we thought it was going to be, but we got some people were brave enough to, to, uh, to try Estee to take her on. Um, we had a beautiful food by Legendary Affairs, a beautiful uh, dairy buffet with salmon and soup bar and salad bar and latka bar. And um, we actually came up with uh, our own Hanukkah mashup called the Lonut, the latka donut. So it was fried like a latka, sweet like a donut, had some, uh, you know, dairy, uh, you know, sweet toppings on top. And um, so that was our, our main event. And then we had, M uh, our MC was Mendy Pellin. Um, he did us the incredible favor of being featured on the Wall Street Journal a few days ago. So uh, he was actually on the front page of the Wall Street Journal a few days ago. It's the spot that I've actually been hoping to uh, be featured in, but who knows, maybe one day. So yes, yeah, so he was just featured there, and um, he was hysterical. Um, and he, uh, you know, we, our nine of our awardees were able to attend. The only one that wasn't there was uh, Marta Weinstock-Rosen, who lives in Israel and was at a conference. We had Dr. Laurel Steinhardt, uh, one of last year's uh, All-Stars in attendance. We had Isamar Ginsberg, also one of last year's uh, All-Stars in attendance. We had a Maccabeat, and we had, um, we had uh, Mendy Pellin from 2012 as well. And um, it, was, it was a beautiful night, and we got incredible feedback, and um, we, we can't wait for next year. And one of our event co-sponsors um, is the founder of an organization called Jewish Links. His name is Rabbi Daniel Cohen. He has been the spiritual leader of Congregation Agudath Shalom since 2005. Um, it's actually the largest uh, modern Orthodox synagogue in New England. I first met Rabbi Cohen maybe around two and a half years ago. I spoke in his shul when I was visiting Stamford, Connecticut. And um, I learned then that he was uh, one of the rabbis of uh, Senator Joe Lieberman. And we stayed in touch and have a lot of similar ideas, kind of improving the world and showing how, you know, traditional values are relevant still in this day and age. And um, Rabbi Cohen is uh, working on some pretty cool projects, um, a larger project called um, What Will They Say About You When You're Gone? Seven Principles for Reverse Engineering Your Life. It's a book that he's working on. And then because of this book, um, he has started a sort of a social media, um, you know, kind of give back and, and do good campaign. Um, so we're going to bring uh, Rabbi Cohen onto the line right now and have a little chat with him. Rabbi Cohen, how are you? Good. Thank God. How are you? 
I'm doing well. A little bit tired after the event, but uh, doing good. Um, and and we missed you there. We enjoyed having you that uh, there last year. And God willing, we'll we'll see you back again for next year. God willing, I'm sure it was great. So um, so tell us a little bit about. So the first thing we're you're working on right now, or maybe maybe if we could even back up a little bit. This book sure. that you're working on about reverse engineering your life. It is what you would think if you saw your own funeral. Can you tell us a little bit about? What events in your life transpired that made you want to write a book about, you know, re- reverse engineering your life, basically, and, and what the funeral, um, you know, connection is? Sure. Um, I would say it was a whole host of things, but primarily when I entered into my 40s, I really began to think about this question in a deeper way. My mom, a blessed memory, passed away when she was uh, 44 years old from a brain aneurysm. I'm the oldest of six. And obviously yeah. at that time I realized how young she was, but then when I entered my 40s, I really began to think about, even more so, you know, what my impact is and how I'm going to be remembered and the fragility of life and the gift of every moment. And my father, he should live and be well also, instilled with me a sense of just maximize every day and lead a life of impact. And over time, I've enjoyed writing and really thought about this uh, issue, which is certainly an issue in Pirkei Avot. You know, oftentimes when it comes to a moment of crisis, uh, we get very focused on doing what's truly significant, not just what's urgent, um, and began to try to reflect on how I could help not only myself, but hopefully other people as well, live at a higher point of awareness, uh, not, only mo- not only waiting for those moments of crisis. Um, so the premise of the book that I'm writing um, is you're walking out of a funeral, and you have a moment where you say to yourself, regardless of your faith, I hope they speak about me the way they spoke about that person. Um, and then for about 15, 20 minutes, so we get more motivated. It could be you came back from the doctor and you got a report that was negative. And you say, wow, thank God. And then you get your next email and you just move on until the next moment. So the concept is you begin the book by writing your own obituary or really more reflecting on how you want to be remembered. And then I take you on a journey, seven principles for reverse engineering your life so you lead the life now that you want to be remembered for. Hmm. So I write a lot about that, speak a lot about it, in many ways just about really trying to maximize not only the here and now, deepen relationships, but lead a life of greater impact. What's so fascinating is that I knew that you were working on your book already, and my husband has a, a coworker whose mother has been ill for a while, and she finally passed away um, like a week ago, and he got back from the funeral kind of with this, you know, you know, you could tell he had been thinking and, you know, mm-hmm. you know, she was such a special person and it kind of, you know, makes you think that like it all comes down to, you know, how will they remember you? And I said, actually, I know a rabbi who's working on this exact concept right now. I happen to be a morbid person who's thinking about my own end really numerous times a day. But for regular people, um, it's probably a very good thing to, um, you know, to, to have that those reminders so that you you know, start making those decisions now. So this book, now you've interviewed a lot of really interesting people for this book so far, correct? Yes, I have. I have. Um, you, are, you, are you publicizing that list yet or is that... Uh, yeah, sure. Not? No, I can definitely do it. I mean, obviously, I was able to interview one of your close friends, Mayim, who uh, right. is a person who shared with me, you know, one of the principles in the book is about how we have certain memories that have really uh, forged our own lives. You know, one of the things as a rabbi, I oftentimes sit with a family in about a half hour, I'll say, tell me a memory of your father or your mother. And it's fascinating. What are the memories that stay with you? And, um, you know, we were reflecting on those memories that shape who we are. For her, it was an influence of her father. And then how do we, when we raise our children or grandchildren, really try to forge those memories? So 
I interviewed her. I interviewed Senator Lieberman, of course, um, Rudy Giuliani, um, former mayor of New York, which was fascinating about, um, you know, one thing I speak about is wouldn't it be better if the world was living as if it was September 12th, hmm. not September 11th. And uh, he reflected with me. He says, Rabbi, you're right. I mean, the world was different. He said for him, he felt in so many ways, but one which is both humorous uh, but certainly relevant, normally he's a Yankees fan, so whenever he goes into Shea Stadium, he used to get booed. <laughs> Except for that game between the Yankees and the Mets right after, we all remember this, after September 11th. When he came in and got a standing ovation, the yeah. partisan divides were much more minimized, and there was a sense of coming together as a country. Um, so he was fascinated. I interviewed Ron Howard, the film producer, Chuck Lavelle, the Rolling Stones, Steve Schwartzman, who's very philanthropic of Blackstone, and you know, a host of people that I think have something to say about uh, leading a life of integrity and impact. Awesome. Is there a date for when this book is due, due out, or you're still working through it? or? Well, I'm still working through it right now. It's actually sitting with a number of uh, publishing houses. We're hoping to get a book contract um, so that um, it has the largest possible audience. So I do a lot of speaking on it and writing, but the book will probably, you know, God willing, maybe around 12 to 18 months, hopefully it'll be uh, complete. Amazing. Now, so to sort of get some buzz going around this book about, you know, living the kind of life that you'd want to be remembered by, you started a social media campaign. Yes. Uh, one of my close friends is actually a pastor um, in Darien, and um, we've done some projects together. And we both are certainly in tune with trying to, you know, spread some more light uh, to a world that is definitely filled with a lot of darkness. And one of the principles in the book is called uh, Be an Angel. And the way I've called this social media campaign is the Elijah moment. Again, going back to my own experience as a rabbi, oftentimes I'll do a funeral, and there's somebody who's standing there at the funeral, and if you could ask the deceased who that person was, they wouldn't remember. And the family probably has no idea who they are. But because of one moment in time that that individual reached out to that person, made a difference in their life, helped them, they potentially transformed that person's life. And I call that the Elijah moment. You know, we encounter hundreds of people every day, um, and oftentimes we don't connect with them as another human being. But if we were aware that every moment has the potential for impact, for sanctity, we could really be that Elijah uh, for someone. So we've started a campaign that starts, uh, started from Thanksgiving going through Christmas, Hanukkah, and New Year's. We're calling it the Elijah Moment campaign, that in a world of increasing acts of violence, we want to flood the world with acts of kindness. And don't mm -hmm. wait to be the recipient, but anticipate those. So we've developed through a Facebook page and a video um, ways for people to, what we call hashtag Elijah Moment, share what you're doing. Pay it forward, and thank God it's getting traction, and we hope that people will continue to uh, really instill the world with a lot of light during this time. Beautiful. Now, it started off your, can you tell us a little bit about the video that you filmed to launch this? Um, yeah, so, um, you know, it's interesting. It's kind of a little bit rooted in a spiritual idea. Um, this is actually from Rabbi Eliyahu Dessler. Um, he writes in Mikhtab Me Eliyahu that why was it that God decided to uh, save the world through a flood? Um, and put uh, Noah in the ark, um, having to feed all these animals. And he says that the world needs to be in spiritual equilibrium. When the world is filled with Hamas, with violence, as it was uh, during the time of the flood, and I think we feel that today, you need an overwhelming sense of kindness to mitigate that Hamas. It says, Olam Chesed Ibanah, the world is founded on kindness. So God didn't just say, okay, Noah, you're saved. He said, you have to do a superhuman act of kindness in that boat 
to mitigate the Hamas, the violence. So in many ways, what we're trying to do now is the same thing. I think people feel, Jewish or not, and certainly though with what's happening in the Middle East and ISIS and in the country, there is a certain chaos and disorder, and we have to do those acts of kindness. So it's not only about doing one act, but how can we create what I would call a wave of kindness, a flash mob of kindness. So what we do is we created these uh, videos. We did one, and we actually did another one where we went to a Starbucks um, in Stanford, and we did a flash mob of kindness where I got five or six people to walk in and literally just stand in line and just start offering to pay for people's coffee and said to them, you know what, I'm doing this because we want to do something nice. We ask you to pay it forward. We'd love for you to do that. Hashtag Elijah moment. Get on the Facebook page. And the feeling was great. Um, We um, have already seen, you know, people have emailed back, people from Ohio, Colorado, you know, I'm doing this. And, you know, we did it this past week um, called Wave of Kindness at the bakery here. And a simple example, a guy we paid for coffee, he said, you know what, I'm going to pay it forward. I work at a country club in Mount Kisco, and today I'm going to make sure at the end of the day to give some free meals to some of the workers there. Hmm. Today I go into the bakery, today, and he said, Rabbi, the guy who you met, you know, on Thursday or Friday, he called me on Sunday and told me I did what the rabbi told me to do. I went and gave the meals to this guy. So here's a $2 cup of coffee, and now there's a fellow who got a fresh meal in Mount Kisco. And who knows how many uh, acts uh, come from that one act of kindness. What I think is so, you know, um, inspiring and touching about this is it's something that transcends different religions and different faiths and different cultures and that we kind of all can sense that like giving and doing kindness for other people is, is a truth in life. It's something that, you know, is beyond different people's scriptures. We can just tell um, innately that this is this is what we're here to do. And so I love the idea that, you know, you're working with people from different communities and such a, a core value of, of being a Jew, of being an observant Jew, um, and bringing more light into the world, especially in these dark times. So thank you so much for, for being there, for, you know, for growing kindness in the world. And um, we'd love some updates in the future, how, how uh, your Elijah moment is going. Thank you, and I appreciate your uh, partnership and support, and what you're doing is also, uh, you know, just great of trying to make a Kiddush Hashem and uh, bring that light uh, in all the corners of the world. Thank you. So if, if you guys want to get involved in this, you can find Elijah Moment on Facebook. And if you want to pay it forward and add more light to the world and hopefully cause um, a kindness flash mob, just uh, go onto Twitter, go onto Facebook, do something kind for someone, post a picture, post a status update, hashtag it Elijah Moment, and you can be recorded in uh, the, the kindness annals of social media history. And in um, God's annals as well. All right. Very nice. There you okay. go. Okay. Thanks um, so much so for your thanks time. For joining. Okay. All the best. You too. Bye-bye. And thank you so much for listening in today. It was uh, an amazing event. Uh, Rabbi Cohen is up to some amazing work, and we feel fortunate to uh, partner with him in the past and, and continuing to. And we, we are so thankful to our fans who um, are following us on social media, who are spreading our message, who are sharing our content. We're so grateful to the fans who made it out for the, the once-a-year in-person event and if you didn't get a chance to be there this past week, um, please, please consider coming next year. Um, we really need to convert everyone who is out there listening or following in a virtual space once a year. Show up, 
come together, be a part of this incredible thing that we're doing. It only works because you are there supporting and we want to meet you. We want to know you and we, we want to do this with you. So thank you for your uh, for support and we look forward to meeting you next year and see you next week.